This Sunday and this message, not because I'm giving it, but this message is a hinge point. And if you understand anything about a hinge point, a hinge point is when something has been going a certain way and then something happens, something is created or something takes place that all of a sudden, if you will, using the word Pastor Jason had, shifts us. It's a hinge point. And I really believe that this is what this Sunday is all about. We've been through the Live Dead series and you've been reading the journals. We've had great responses on that. Uh, thank you so much, all of you who've been uh, uh, putting on uh, Live It Out on our webpage. We thank you for that. But today, not because I'm giving you a message, but we have been through a series. If we don't apply it, if something different doesn't happen in our life, then all we have done is we have just been through a series. And those 250 books that we sold on the Live Dead Journal, all we have done is just red pages. And I know it takes a process, but, but I, just want to, I just want to encourage you this morning to um, be sensitive to what God has to say to us today, because I believe He's really bringing us a challenge. Now, before I, I begin, I'm going to kind of toot my own horn a little bit. Nobody is tooting it for me, but uh, because most of you probably don't even are not, not aware. This last Friday, I had the privilege and the honor of celebrating 44 years of marriage to this beautiful lady right here. And uh, Pam gave us a card, and on the card, the front of the card, there's this old man and woman sitting in a rocking chair. And the woman says, they say that people who are married live longer. And you open up the card and the old man goes, nah, it just seems that way. <laughs> and we we're talking about it and one of, uh, Will Wiedenhoff had, had complimented on us uh, this week about that. And, and he, I said, yeah, I said, we're, I said, we're living and we have life and we're loving it. And immediately, I th that, that's a country western song. <laughs> living life and loving it. Speaking of songs, in, 19, in the early 1940s, there was a song that came out that the Irish had laid claim to, the English had laid claim to, and in the 1940s, it, would in, it introduced in America. Most of you know this song, so I'm going to ask you to help me uh, remember these words, okay? So I just want you to, to verbally and vocally kind of open up and share this with me. Are you ready? You put your left foot in. You know what? You put your left foot out. You can, you can say it. You put your left foot in and you, you do the, and you turn yourself around. That's what it's all about. You put your right foot in, you put your right foot out your right foot in and you shake it all about. You do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself around. That's what it's all about. <laughs> now we're not going through all of the body parts, but when we get to the last part, the last part of that is you put your whole self in. You put your whole self out. You put your whole self in and shake it all about. You do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself around. That's what it's all about. 
Now, for some of us, when we get to that, put your whole self in and you shake it all about, we have to, we have to pause. Because for some of us, once we stop shaking, it takes a while for things to <laughs> settle down. But when you put your whole self in and you shake it all about, that's what it's all about. That's what live dead is all about, putting your whole self in. And you and I are very good at putting in part of us. God, I will put my left foot in and shake it around. I'll put my right hand in and shake it around. But we get to that part of where we say, I'm going to put my whole self in because that's what it's all about. You see, if you have read through the journals and you have listened to Pastor Jack and those who have been speaking regarding the Live Dead series, you're going to realize that once we begin to walk this out, you're going to have questions of why? and how, and when. And the storms that you encounter, the storms that you face, and they will come, they will come. If you have never experienced a storm, it will come. And what I've learned is that storms push back and pull back our heart and actually reveal who we really are. The end of last year, I went to my hometown in Kokomo, Indiana. They had just, just the week before we got there, they had an F4 tornado come through. And the town was devastated, and, and the neighborhood where my son lived, the, the, the alley behind him, houses were just leveled. Three houses down from him, houses were leveled. So thankful, not, not to be not compassionate for those who've lost their, their things, but my, my, my boy's house was not touched. It was, it was spared. The nursing home that my mother was in was spared, and yet the school, two blocks away, the, the roof was gone from that. But as I drove around the city, I noticed something in particular, that most houses where the roofs were gone, the windows were blown out, the Walls had collapsed. I noticed that you, as you're driving by, you can see right in. You can see that in that house, you can see the living room. You can see a bedroom. You drive down the block, you can see somebody's bathroom. You can see clothes hanging in the closet. You can see children's toys on the floor. Because the nature of the storm took things away and revealed what was inside. And when we think about that and we think about the storms of life and we think about live dead and we think about sacrifice, we have to keep in mind something. Anything of value must be tested. When you go to buy a car, what's the first thing that usually we want to ask them? Can I take this car for a test drive? When you go into a store and you're purchasing something and, and it, it, it's a high two, three, four hundred dollars and you happen to have cash and you give them the twenties and the fifties, 
they reach under the counter and they pull out their pen and they mark across it because it has value and it has to be tested. When you have gold or silver and you go to exchange that for money, the, the, the person there at the store has a way of testing. You see, anything of value has to be tested. And one of the things that we understand is this. When the storms come our way and we are tested, it reveals to us what is actually important. And some of you who have been reading through this, these Live Dead journals, you're reading about these missionaries. And, and, and I understand, and I'm not discouraging you from being your heart being pulled and, and, and tugged at some of the stories. But when you read through that journal, what we are reading about is people who are learning what's really valuable. And every time, whether it's been Hurricane Katrina or Hurricane Sandy or no matter where it is, when they're interviewing the people in the community, they will say to them, so how are you doing? And those people will say, well, we were able to save our family pictures. We were able to save some mementos. We are so thankful, even though everything is lost, our family is safe. You see, that's what storms do. They remind us of what's really important. You, you'd never hear anybody saying, well, I've lost my whole family and, and, and I can accept that, but oh man, my motorcycle got tore up. <laughs> you don't hear that. But when we come to the place in life where the storms come our way, it reveals what's important. And the Gospels, we have the story of Jesus and the disciples when He had been teaching the people all day long. He was tired, He was sweaty, He was hungry, He was wore out. And He said to the disciples, He said, hey, He said, let me get in your boat and, and, and let's get away from here for a while. So they go out on the Sea of Galilee and while they're out there, this storm comes up. And Barbara and I had the chance to be in, on the Sea of Galilee in 1999 and, and, and we, when you look at it, it's like, oh, that's an exaggeration. That, that could never have happened out here. But we learned meteorologically and geologically how that creates storms, and, and that's something that was experiencing in the boat. And the disciples, simply to shorten up the story, they became fearful and they became anxious, and they looked, and there's Jesus sleeping in the boat. And their, their, their voice and their noise and their level, and, they, and, and finally it wakes him up and he, he looks around and they said, Master, don't you care that we're about to drown? And Jesus just stands up in the boat and says, where's your faith? Where's your faith? You are in the boat with the one who controls the waves and the wind. Where is your faith? And we find a story that goes with the live dead, goes with where we are today. We find a story that's very, very appropriate. It's a story found in Genesis chapter 22, and it's a story about a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham was about to face 
the biggest storm in his life because God was requiring him to sacrifice his son. Everything that had brought him joy for the last several years, and please understand as I'm telling this story, it may not be exactly like you heard it or you read it. That's the beauty and that's the license of flexibility in terms of Scripture because not every detail is nailed down. And when he goes to build the altar, it doesn't say that, that Abraham took 26 stones. So if I'm telling you the story and says he took 48, so what? Prove me wrong. The thing that he had lived for and his joy, God was asking him to sacrifice. Abraham was facing a contradiction of the nature and the character of God because he read in the word that God was not a man that he should lie. And it was God that told him that he was going to bless him and his seed would bless many nations and he and Sarah were going to have a son. And now God is saying, kill him. What a contradiction. The nature and the character of God that says, I'm going to bless you with this child that will bless many nations. And over here, a few years later, he says, kill him. And the first truth, the first principle that we have to learn is this. We have to learn to trust God when we don't know why. Most of us have experienced storms in our life. Most of us have been tested or tried. And please understand, these words are interchangeable. I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. They, they had that verse, and uh, they think I've probably skipped it, but it's, we had it available for you. But it says, there is no temptation common to man, but what God has not made a way of escape. When we look at that word temptation or tested, you say, well, but, but Pastor Don, does God, does he tempt us to sin? No, 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 no. He doesn't tempt us to sin. But there are temptations and there are tests and there are trials and there are storms that come our way that God permits. Now, you have to understand, friends, there are some storms we create ourselves. There are some things that we bring on ourselves. There are some things that, that just because of poor choices, we are suffering the consequences. And if that's the case, don't go around saying, well, I guess God's just testing my faith. What he's questioning is your sanity because of that dumb decision that you just made. And now you're living with the consequences and trying to say that God is testing you. But nonetheless, here's the thing. Even though God tests us, and the Scripture says, He will not put on us more than we are able to bear, but with every temptation make a way of escape. Here's the thing. God knows how much you and I can bear more than we do. 
Because you see, when those storms come our way, when the tests come our way, because of the flesh, because of human nature, we're going, oh, I give up, I give up, I give up. And by the way, it, it, storms are, are relevant to people. Storms come in graduations, and God brings little storms to people who have little faith. And as your faith grows and builds and builds, the storms become more intense and more, more uh, overtaking because that's where your faith is at. But God knows just how much you can bear. If you don't believe that, go through and read the book of Job. Go through and read about Moses and David and Joseph, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Read through those scriptures that God knows just how much we can bear. And in our inner self, in our flesh, we're saying, I can't stand no more, I can't stand no more. And really what God's trying to say is, the reason I'm allowing this is to draw you closer to me because by yourself, you can't stand no more. But cast all your cares on me because I care for you. All you that labor and heavy laden, come unto me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God is saying, here's what I'm trying to get across to you. Yes, the storm is difficult. Yes, it is intense, but if you will trust me, John let us in those words that cling to the rock. Hold on to that faith. Grab a hold of what you believe. Because there were storms come into your life that you're going to learn to trust God even though you don't know why. Let's take a look at Genesis <clears throat> chapter 22. And... Uh, I want, to, I want to read through here with you. See, Abraham, <clears throat> excuse me, Abraham had already had a, a revelation from God when God said, leave your homeland. He'd already had a revelation with God when God said, I'm going to give you a son. The son comes, and now we pick it up here in verse 1. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. But when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. Here's the thing. In that portion of Scripture, there are certain words that stand out to me. God tested Abraham. If He's going to test Abraham, He will test you and I. Then He went, God said, take them to a place that I'll show you, and went to Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is very significant in biblical history. 
Solomon built his temple or Solomon built his temple there. The Temple Mount. That's where God was bringing Abraham. And then here's the thing that caught my attention because Abraham as he did with the, when he left his family and friends, when God says, I want you to take your family and friends and go to a place that I'll show you and, and I will make a blessing. And so Abraham, can you imagine coming home to your wife and saying, honey, pack your bags and get the kids. We're leaving. And your wife in her wisdom and, and, and understanding will, will say, where are we going? I don't know. God just said, we're leaving. Pack your bags. Well, when are we going to get there? I don't know. How are we going to travel all that? I don't know. What are we going to do when we get there? I don't know. Can you comprehend in today's society, your ladies, your husband coming home and saying, honey, I've just had an encounter with God, and he says, pack your bags and go. I, I, I can just, I, I can see because it's all carnal. And the reply would be, you better go talk to him again. I ain't going. But you see, Abraham had already experienced that with God. And he had already got to the place. But here's the thing. 90% of doing God's will is doing it before you know it. Let me say that again. 90% of doing God's will is doing it before you know it. We say, Don, will you give me a clearer concept of that? You betcha. You can't steer a parked car. Did you get that one? If the car ain't moving, it ain't going anywhere. So when we're talking about, I just, I've just been praying about God's will, praying about God's will. Well, well, where, what are you doing? Oh, nothing. I've just been praying about God's will. I just prayed, I've just been praying that, that God would show me where He wants me to go and, and do what He wants me to do. And well, what are you doing and where you're going? Oh, nowhere. I'm just praying about God's will. God is telling us this morning, and part of Pastor Jason's word of shift and part of my word of hinge moment is after we've come through this series of Live Dead, it's now time to say, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll be what you want me to be. I'll do what you want me to do. Father, here am I, and, and I may not understand it, and I may not really know what's going on, but I'm going to take that step of faith because that's what you're telling me to do. See, that's what it's all about. Say, yeah, but Pastor John, I'm, or Don, I'm, John, I'm waiting for the next, for the next shoe to drop because I know now you're going to start talking to us about working in the church and volunteering and signing up and all that good stuff. Well, judgment begins in the house of God. And what a better place to start. Do you know that when Jesus picked His disciples, He only picked those who were already doing something? So I'm not trying to be mean. Or, or mean-spirited, 
But if you're sitting in this congregation and you're doing nothing in the kingdom of God, but you're praying, oh God, show me your will. Honey, it's time that you get up and do something. Just do something. Pick papers up off the floor. Sign up in the nursery. Be an usher or a greeter. Get a hold of the rangers or the missionettes or inside out or youth or young adult or, or the, the impact singers, the, the nursing home ministries or whatever. It's time to do something because I think that's part of our shift. I think that's part of the hinge moment that we've heard the messages. Now it's time to make a change. So Abraham says to his two servants, you guys stay here. And the boy and I are going to go up, and I know maybe some of you in your mind, you're saying, well, how old was Isaac? Nobody really knows. It depends on what commentary you read. Some say he was a, a, a teenager. Some say he was 25. Some say he is old as 37. I know this. He's big enough if he wanted to, he could have knocked his dad down the side of that mountain very easy. But here's the thing. So why did he tell his servants to stay there? Because you see, sometimes faith has to walk alone. Sometimes in your walk of faith, you can't have people around you that might try to interfere with what God's telling you to do. Sometimes that walk of faith requires walking alone because if the servants were there, they may, out of an emotional state, ran up and grabbed his arm and say, oh, no, 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 don't do that. So he said, guys, you camp out here because the lad and I are going to go to worship. And that was the other thing that caught my eye. How do you worship when you're getting ready to stab your son in the heart with a knife. Well, you do that because you've had a revelation from God. And true worship is always preceded by preparation and separation. And I think that's what concerns me, and, and, and I'm, I'm being very delicate this morning because I'm old enough, and I've been ministry long enough and I've read undercover that I understand that Erie First Assembly of God has a shepherd. And Pastor Jack is our shepherd. He is our lead pastor. And there are some things that if he wants to just get in your face and get in your space, that's his business. But what I'm sharing with you is God's word today. And so I hope you will not take it as rebuke or reproof but take it as something that God's Word is trying to tell us today. So how do we worship when we're getting ready to kill our kid? Some of you have thought about that, haven't you? <laughs> Some of you have been through that. It's better to ask forgiveness than permission. <laughs> how do we worship in the midst of wanting to kill our kids? Hey, great. Thanks for helping me with that. That, that. that was great. We do that because we've already had a revelation of God. I told you, God had dealt with him in, in the land of Ur. 
God had dealt with him of having Isaac as his son. God had already dealt with him. And then Abraham had worshipped God before. This wasn't the first altar he built. He worshipped God before. And so he had that preparation going on. And then he told the servants to stay there. There's a separation going on. So when you have a revelation of God and you have a preparation in your spirit and you have a separation of things that distract you, you're ready for worship no matter what. That's why I would ask you to strongly consider when you come to this church on Sunday morning, are you ready to worship? Charles Stanley said this. He said, most Christians in most churches around our country have never worshiped God. They've sang songs, they've listened to sermons, and they've quoted prayers, but they've never worshiped God. You see, true worship is not about my likes and dislikes. True worship is not about personalities. True worship is trusting God even when it doesn't seem he's making any sense. But when we come into this building at 1015, honey, I tell you, you ain't going to be worshiping because it takes you that long just to get your coat and hat off and to get all that verbal garbage that went on between home and the church with your family in the car. Takes you that long just to get things processed out of your head. And by then, John's done and somebody is coming up here to lead us in prayer and let's greet everybody. Here's what I want you to catch. You can't go from the secular to the sacred at the drop of a hat. You can't go from the world to worship at the drop of a hat. That's why we have first day prayer. That's why that we ask you to come, and if you don't want to join us around here in the front, just sit in, many of them come just sit in the pews. What are they doing? They're preparing. They're separating. They're preparing. See, I'm old enough that when I was growing up, Saturdays were always different than Sunday, and it still is. I can't break that. Saturdays was low-key. We didn't party. We didn't do a whole lot of things. We just got ready for Sunday. And one of my assignments was always to keep my shoes shined. When I was a teenager, wash the car, vacuum it out, gas it up, shine your shoes, get ready for Sunday. Now, I know it's getting a little tough, but now we got to stay up and watch that movie till 1.30 in the morning. Yeah, I know I shouldn't be on Facebook, and I didn't realize it was already 2 in the morning, but you know, time just goes by so fast. Yeah, I knew my thumbs were tired, but I didn't know that they would affect me raising my hands in the morning. You see, when we are not having any preparation in our life, we can't come and expect to worship because you just don't transition that quick. But Abraham said, the lad and I will go and we will worship and we're coming back. So not only do we learn to trust God, 
when we don't know why. We learn to trust God's provision when we don't know how. Abraham was there, and he's putting the altar, and, and, and I'm, I'm taking this liberty this morning as Abraham's piling up the rocks. He's saying, God, is that enough? Is that enough? God, is this enough? Is this enough? Is this enough? He brings the wood and he puts a couple sticks on it. He says, God, is, is this enough? Is this enough? Is this enough? He gets his son on the altar and he raises the knife and he says, God, is this far enough? Is this far enough? Is this far enough? Say, oh, yeah, but see, Abraham was a man of faith and he believed if he killed Isaac that God's going to raise him up again. I believe that. But still, mom and dad, how many of you would be the first to raise your hand if God said this morning, hey, I want you to kill your kid this afternoon, but don't worry, I'm going to resurrect him. Still tough. So he gets his hand up and he says, God, is this enough? And he hears another word, Abraham, don't touch the lad. And he hears this little bleeding behind him in the thicket. And there's a ram. And the angel says, take that ram and provide him as a sacrifice. You see, friends, we trust God when we don't know why. We trust his provision when we don't know how. And we trust his timing when we don't know when. With every one of these, I could take a whole other series of Sundays and just share with you things that Barbara and I have experienced in our 44 years of marriage and 36 years of ministry. And the other day, I said, honey, wouldn't it be interesting if we knew then what we knew now? I'm glad we didn't, but we kind of just did a quick review of 44 years and the things that we have been through and the things that God has brought us through. And can I tell you this? There's been some tests that God has brought my way that I've failed, but there's also been some tests He's brought my way that I've passed. And even when we don't know when, we learn to trust Him. We learn to trust him. Because here's the challenge. One of the biggest challenges of God's people is between when God makes his promise and when he fulfills it. And it's in that space that we have the most difficult time remaining strong in our faith, knowing that God is going to come through. But we have to understand he'll never leave us or forsake us. And church, my heart is passionate this morning about what I'm saying. And I take it very seriously. And, and, and the people in the office, I've got a, the ones that work in the office, they're with me here on Sunday. And they think of this Pastor Don that's kind of off the wall and crazy and goofy during the week and talks about running Twizzlers up and down his nose because he didn't want to use the neti pot. So he just, you know, I mean, that's who they know in the week. But I'm not always like that. And when I have an opportunity to give the Word of God, I take it very, very serious. I'm going to ask John and the girls to come up this morning. And here's what I want you to do. They're going to sing a chorus that I believe is God-ordained.
I was wondering, how do I wrap this service up? How do I, how do I bring this to an end? And I'm YouTubing, and this song came to me on Thursday. I said, John, and there, there were no, there were lyrics to it, but there was no melody to it, nothing. And he said, I think I can do that. And I so appreciate his effort. Here's what I want you to do. As they sing through this a couple of times, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to lock yourself in with God and say, God, I want to learn how to live dead. God, I want to learn more what sacrifice really means. God, I want to be at the place where if you ask me to go, if you ask me to do, if you ask me to say, God, I'll be willing. Listen to these words and lock yourself in with God and let these words touch your heart this morning. And I'm going to come back and we're going to share together in just a moment.
ask you to stand with me this morning. Very simple words, <clears throat> very easy. If that's your heart today, if that's what the Holy Spirit has been placing into your heart this morning, that through this Live Dead series, through the story of Abraham and Isaac, but can I leave you with one more thought about that story? God really didn't want Isaac. He wanted Abraham. See, we think it's all about the son being killed. God really didn't want Isaac. He, he wanted Abraham. So my question to us this morning is this. What are our Isaacs? And I want you to lift your voice. Lift your hands and sing that as a song of surrender. I'll say yes. Thank you, Jesus. For some, that's a big step this morning. But for all of us, you're asking for obedience. And the synonym of true faith is true obedience. So Father, throughout this day and the days to come, as we remain open to your voice, to the leading of your Holy Spirit. May we respond with yes, Lord, to your will. Where you lead, I will go. I'll say yes, Lord. I'll say yes. Father, thank you for this day, for your word, for your love, for your faithfulness. Go with us today and keep each one safe, I pray in your name. Amen and amen. God bless you.